This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Little time to chat tonight, so it's straight to our first program, The Whistler. And this episode is entitled, Death Comes at Midnight. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of The Whistler? having a nightmare, John. Huh? Oh, good heavens, Claire. It was awful. I... I dreamed there was a man in this room and he stood right over me. And he said I was going to die. And I was going to be murdered within 48 hours. Sunday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. Whistler know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And so I tell you tonight the strange story, Death Comes at Midnight. John Prentice is a manufacturer, a very busy man who needs his rest. But John had a frightful dream. The dream was not brought on by a guilty conscience. But John's life has been above reproach. He loves his wife, Clara, and their grown daughter, Eva. He has done no wrong to any man. Why then this awful dream with its prophecy of death? Now, the following evening, the Prentices are planning to attend a lecture. And Dwight Cooper, Eva's fiancé, is going with them. The wife and daughter are in the living room awaiting his arrival. Oh, there's Dwight now, Mother. I'll go to the door. Oh, wait a minute, Eva. You'd better make sure who it is before you open the door. Oh, Mother, you're still worrying about that dream Daddy had last night. Well, I can't help being nervous about it. Well, of course it's Dwight. We're expecting him, aren't we? I'm going to let him in. Well, enter, my lord. Hello, darling. How come you're answering the door yourself? Maid's night out? <laughs> We haven't got a maid. She went to work in a war plant. Well, good for her. We're going to do without a maid for the duration. That's the spirit. 
Good evening, Miss Prentice. Good evening, Dwight. Now, you see, Mother, it wasn't a big bad wolf after all. Not this time. But we'd better be careful, Eva. Well, what's this about a big bad wolf? Mm, seems that Mother believes in dreams, Dwight. And last night, Dad had one that was really a honey. Oh, I don't believe in dreams. Oh, Daddy! Yes? Dwight's here, so hurry up. Come in just a minute. <laughs> Talk about a woman taking her time dressing. Well, what about this dream? You tell him, Mother. Well, I don't believe that all dreams have a meaning. Uh, but uh, this one John had was a prophecy, and I'm concerned about it. Yes? He kept hearing a man's voice telling him over and over that he was going to be murdered within 48 hours. Murdered? Can you imagine such a thing? Oh, well, I wouldn't be alarmed, Mrs. Prentice. According to psychologists, a dream has no possible relation to the future. They say a dream comes from experiences of the past that have been registered in the subconscious mind. Well, if John's been murdered in the past, I haven't heard about it. <laughs> oh, now, wait. I didn't mean it quite as literally as all that. Well, Mother's been counting the hours, Dwight. Let's see, the dream came at midnight last night. Well, that means Dad's hour of doom is midnight tomorrow. If he isn't murdered sooner. Well, maybe we'd better not risk taking him to the lecture. Oh, huh? I wish you two wouldn't joke about it. I, I don't think it's any joking matter. Oh, I'll get it. Hello? Hello? Mr. Prentice there? He's busy right now. Could I take a message? Yeah. Tell him he better come to the phone, whether he's busy or not, if he wants to save his life. What? This is a matter of life and death. Oh. Well, hold the line a minute. Of all the amazing things, there's a man on the phone who sounds like a gangster. He wants to talk to Daddy about saving Daddy's life. His life? Maybe I'd better talk to him. Oh, no, no. Uh, no, get John on the phone. Call him, Eva. Oh, Daddy, you want it on the phone. It's important. All right, I'm coming. Oh, don't tell me that dream didn't mean anything. Now, Mother, don't get excited. Well, just what did this fellow say? Well, he... Oh, here's Daddy. Yeah, hello, Dwight. Good evening, Miss Prentice. Oh, Daddy, wait. I don't know who that man is, but he's terribly hard-boiled, and he said I'd better get you to the phone if you want to save your life. What's this? Oh, John, I... I'll, I'll, I'll see what it's all about. Hello? Mr. Prentice? Yes? You don't know me, but you better pay attention to what I'm telling you, see? A certain man here in town, a wealthy guy, has offered me a nice piece of dough to put you out of the way. What? But I want to be reasonable, see? So I'll consider... Hey, are you listening? Yes, yes, I, I, I'm listening. Go ahead. Well, if you want to hike the ante a little bit, say to three grand, I'll call off my deal with this guy. What's more, I'll give you his name. I see. Now, three grand's a small matter to you, so... Wait a minute. Suppose you come here to the house and we'll talk it over. Do I sound like a chump? You're coming to see me, and you're bringing the dough. Oh, no, I'm not. Think I'm going to walk into a trap? You mean you're turning down my proposition? I certainly am. All right, mister. You asked for it. You'll be a goner by midnight tomorrow. All right. So listen. Hello. 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 <laughs> midnight tomorrow. Now, not only in a dream, but in actual fact, John has been told that he will not live beyond that hour. John phones the police, and a few minutes later, Captain Arnold arrives at the house. Mr. Prentice, can you think of anyone who'd 
like to have you put out of the way for any reason at all? I... No. No, Captain, I really can't. Now, you've been in business a good many years. Uh, how about your business rivals? Well, of course, I've, I've made a certain amount of enemies, of course. Yeah. But I don't think any of them would go so far as to hire somebody to kill me. Uh, you never can tell. Suppose you name some of your enemies. Oh, no, I... I'm afraid, Captain, I couldn't do that. Well, see here, why not? Well, frankly, because I, I might be causing an innocent person a lot of embarrassment. Oh, well, what of it? We've got to get to the bottom of this some way. Uh, have you had a quarrel with anyone recently? I know I uh, haven't. Think carefully now. Well, yes, yes, come to think of it. I did have a rather heated argument with a man the other day in my office. Oh, but I'm well, sure... And who was he? I'd rather not say... Was he a wealthy man? Yes. Then tell me his name. Oh, no, Captain. I'd rather not. <laughs> You'd go to his house and question him, and I don't want... How can the police help you if you won't help yourself? Well, this is none of my business, Mr. Prentice, but if I were you... No. I... No, Dwight. There's no use arguing. Got my own ideas on the subject. Well, that's that, I guess. We'll have to conduct our investigation without your help, Mr. Prentice. Oh, uh, by the way, Captain, I'd... I'd feel a lot safer if you'd send an officer out to watch the house tonight. Well, I brought a man with me. He's out in the car. I'll leave him here. Oh, that'll be fine. I'll leave the car, too, in case he needs it. Well, <clears throat> we'll do what we can, Mr. Prentice. Let us know the developments. Oh, of course. I'm... I want to thank you, Captain. Good night. Good night. Good night, Captain. <laughs> So John is unwilling to give the name of the man with whom he quarreled. <laughs> is it really because he's concerned about the possible embarrassment of an innocent person? Tonight the house will be well guarded, and as an added protection, Dwight has agreed to stay in the Prentice home. John, feeling quite safe, has gone to bed and fallen into a sound sleep. Then at exactly midnight... Oh, oh, let me go. Let me go. I don't want to die. John. No, no, don't throw me off the bridge. No. Wake up, John. Oh, no, no, no. Wake up, wake up John. What? You're all right, John. You're in your room. Nothing's happening to you. Oh. You've been shouting your head off. Mother. Mother, what is it? Your father's had another nightmare. I thought that was it. Yes, even. It was terrible. What kind of a dream was it? Like the other one? Oh, it was worse. Now I know how I'm going to die and when. Oh, you're not going to die. I'm afraid of you. What did you dream, John? He... He took me in a car to the old river bridge on Tower Street. Who took you? I don't know. I never saw him before. He tied my hands behind me with a rope, and when we got to the bridge, he dragged me out of the car and oh. threw me into the river. Oh, my heavens. Just as we came to the bridge, I saw an illuminated clock. The hands were pointing to twelve. That's when I'm going to die. Oh, Daddy. What time is it now? Well, it's after 12. Oh. Then it's tomorrow at midnight, just like that man said. Daddy, don't talk like that. This dream doesn't mean anything. What about my other dream? It meant something. No, it didn't. That phone call didn't have a thing to do with your dream. It was just a coincidence. I think it looks different to you in the morning. Eva. Yes? Would you mind sending Dwight in here? But he's asleep, Daddy. I know, but please send him in. I, I want to talk to him. No. All right. Sit down, Dwight. They told me about the dream, Mr. Prentice, but 
I wouldn't let it bother me if I were you. I can't help being bothered. The dream was so vivid, Dwight, and it fits in so perfectly with what's happening in real life. Yes, I'll admit that's rather strange. The reason I sent for you, well, if anything should happen to me, I want you to sort of take charge of things for Clara and Eve. How do you mean? I've made a will that takes care of my property, but there's my life insurance. It amounts to $100,000, and the money will have to be invested. I see. Who's the insurance payable to? Clara, but of course she knows nothing about investments. You advise her, will you, Dwight? I've got faith in your judgment. Yes. I'll be glad to help in any way I can. Come to think of it, I I owe a payment on that policy right now. But the grace period isn't up for a couple of days yet. I'll make the payment if I'm still alive. Oh, I have an idea you'll be alive, all right. But as you say, if anything should happen, I'll be glad to advise Mrs. Prentice. Oh, I knew you would, Dwight. And thanks. <laughs> Next morning, John announces that he will stay at home all day. Clara, upset by the events of the night before, remains in her room. But John is feeling much better. He views things differently with the coming of a new day. He will not yield to this feeling of inevitable doom. He will fight the situation. (laughs) Hello? Mr. Prentice? Oh, it's you again. Dwight, get on that extension in the library. Just, uh... Thought I'd call and ask if you've changed your mind. No, I have not. Much more, I defy you to even lay a hand on me. I'm being protected by the police. Well, ain't that fine. So you won't come across, huh? No, I won't. Look, Prentice, the water in that river is awful cold. What? What did you say? Hello. Hello. Dwight, did you hear that? What's the matter, Daddy? I heard every word. Sounded like he meant business. Something wrong? That man, he phoned me again. I don't know what to think. But what did he say? He he wanted to know if I changed my mind, and when I told him I hadn't, he he told me the water in the river would be awfully cold. What? How did he know about my dream? How did he know? Yeah, it's the most uncanny thing I ever heard of. What's the answer to all this? Daddy, he didn't know about your dream. It's just the other way around. Well, what do you mean? I'm afraid Mother's right. Your dreams are foretelling the future, Daddy. They're warning you of what's going to happen. Now John's spirits are crushed again. For if the dream told the truth, then his fate is sealed in spite of anything he can do. Dwight, however, is not ready to give up. He is annoyed with Eva for admitting her belief in the dream. Darling, for your father's sake, you shouldn't have said what you did, even though you believe it yourself. I know, Dwight. Perhaps I shouldn't have said it before I thought. But there must be something to those dreams. Yes, I know. You've got me guessing. But look, Let's try to do something. Do what? I've been thinking about this quarrel your father had. He won't tell us the man's name, but maybe we can find out. How? Through your father's secretary. The quarrel took place in his office, you know. Oh, yes. Miss Edwards might know about it. Well, shall we get on and see her? But look, let's not tell her what we want the information for. The less we say about this situation, the better. Well, we'll give her some other reason. Yes. Get your coat and hat on, honey. We'll get out of my car. <laughs> This is Mr. Cooper, my fiancé. How do you do? Miss We'd like to ask you a few questions, if you can spare us a few moments. Why, yes, of course. My father isn't feeling very well today, and that's why he didn't come down. You see, we've learned that he's rather upset about a heated argument he had recently with some wealthy man here at the office. Argument? Daddy won't talk about it. He hasn't even mentioned the man's name, but it's quite necessary that we find out all we can about it. 
But if you'll tell us who the man was, we'll treat the matter in confidence. But, uh, I don't know of any fuss your father had, Miss Prentice. He, he's quite an even-tempered man. Yes? Are you sure you don't remember? Very well. There was an argument. I, I couldn't hear what was being said. They were in your father's private office, but I did hear your father talking quite angrily with Mr. Reeves. Who's he? Milton Reeves. He's been in several big deals with Mr. Prentice. Oh. Couldn't you hear anything that was being said? No. Just their loud voices. Uh, Mr. Reeves was angry, too, but I really couldn't make out what they said. No? Well, at any rate, we've got something to go on, either. Yes. I think we'd better have a talk with Mr. Reeves. Thank you, Miss Edwards. You won't tell Mr. Prentice that I said anything, will you? And, or Mr. Reeves, either? Oh, no. You can depend on that. I'm Dwight Cooper, Mr. Reeves. And this is Miss Prentice. How do you do, Miss Prentice? John Prentice's daughter, aren't you? Yes, I am. Well, what is it, Mr. Cooper? I'm in a bit of a hurry. I, I'm going away on a trip this afternoon. I'll be very brief. We've heard that you and Mr. Prentice had some sort of a disagreement with each other a few days ago. Yes? Who told you that? Mr. Prentice is quite ill, Mr. Reeves, and we think it's a result of that quarrel. If we could find out something about it, we might be able to straighten him out. Well, John knows all about it. He won't talk about it, Mr. Reeves. He won't, eh? Well, John shouldn't let a thing like that get him down. Business is business, you know. He wanted me to renew a loan, and I refused to do it. So that was it. In his particular business, well... I, I don't know what the future will be with all this rationing and priorities. Had you promised to renew the loan? Well, as a matter of fact, I had. But I changed my mind, which is my privilege. John wanted me to wait a few days. Said he was trying to borrow some money from the state mutual. But I didn't think it was good business to wait, so I called the loan. Oh, I see. I imagine that made him pretty angry. Did it? You'll pardon me, Miss Prentice, for talking so frankly about your father, but really, I never heard a man get so abusive in my life. Why, he actually threatened me. Yes? He acted like a schoolboy. Said he'd get revenge. Do you think he will get revenge? Oh, no, no, I... Oh, yes. You're afraid of him, aren't you? You'd like to arrange things so he couldn't possibly get revenge, wouldn't you, Mr. Reeves? Did you threaten him? Say, what are you getting at? I think you know what we're getting at. I do not. Now, see here. I've told you all I'm going to tell you, so now I'll ask you both to leave. Surely. You've told us quite enough, Mr. Reeves. <laughs> Dwight, hadn't we better go to the police station and tell Captain Arnold? No, darling, not yet. But I'm sure Reeves is the one who's hired that thug to kill your father. So am I. He said he was going on a trip. He wants to be out of the way when it happens, so he won't be suspected. Of course. Then why shouldn't we have him arrested? I'd like to get more evidence first. I want to find out more about that loan. Who do you think could tell me? Well, Mr. McAdams ought to be able to tell you. He's the treasurer of Daddy's firm. All right, I'll go see him. Look, honey, suppose you take a taxi and go on home. See how things are getting along. Oh, Dwight, I... Please, honey, I may have to do some running around. Look, don't tell your father about this. Oh, no. All right, Dwight. But don't be gone too long. I won't tell him. But Dwight has been gone much too long to suit Eva. It is now 11.30 at night. Eva and her mother have become increasingly nervous as the clock kicks off the seconds, bringing the time closer and closer to midnight, John's last moment on earth. 
Oh, for heaven's sakes, Dwight, where have you been? We've been worried to death. Well, one thing led to another. Gadams had gone out in the country, but I finally caught up with him. Have you told the police about Mr. Reed? No, I haven't. Where's Mr. Prentice? In the library. Oh, he's in a terrible state of mind, Dwight. He's got the door locked. He told the policeman to stand outside his window. <laughs> Someone at the door. Oh, my heavens. Oh, why didn't that police... Now, don't stop. get panicky, I'll see who it is. Open the wicket. A messenger boy. It might be a trick. Looks all right. Telegram for Mr. Prentiss. All right, I'll take it. Sign here. There. Here. Oh, thanks, mister. I wonder who'd be... Mrs. Prentiss, have I your permission to open this message? For certain reasons, I'd like to see who it's from. Why, yes, Dwight. Go ahead. What is it, Dwight? It's important. Very important. I've got to show it to your father right away. Mr. Prentice, open up. It's Dwight. Mr. Prentice. It's all right, Daddy. Unlock the door. Dwight's got a telegram for you. Hmm. Why doesn't he answer? Well, go outside and look through the window. The officer's out there. Come on. <laughs> Where is that officer, Eva? I don't see him. I don't know, Dwight. Daddy told him to stay right here by the window. Eva, look. The window's wide open. What? Uh, What's that? Oh, my heavens. There's the policeman on the ground. Something's happened to him. He's hurt. Officer. <laughs> officer. He's coming around. What happened? Uh, I, I seen a car drive up in the alley. Oh. Light-colored sedan. And just as I... I started to investigate. Somebody slugs me in the back of the head. That's, that's all I remember. And they got him. They've got Daddy. Darling, I'm, I'm going after that sedan. How do you know where it went? I'll find it. I'll drive to the Tower Street Bridge. I'm going with you. No, you stay here, Eva. And why does Dwight think he'll find the light-colored sedan at the Tower Street Bridge? Is it because Mr. Prentice saw that bridge in his dream... Or is there another reason? A reason known only to Dwight. The diva can't wait, and so a moment later, another car speeds toward the bridge. The policeman's car. The officer is at the wheel, and Eva and Clara are by his side. Oh, officer, can't you go faster? I'm driving as fast as I can, Miss Prentice. Say, I'd better put in a radio call to headquarters and have them send a squad car to the other side of that bridge. No telling what we'll run into there. right ahead, officer. And there's the clock. What clock? The one Daddy saw in his dream. And look, it's midnight. I don't know nothing about the dream, Miss Prentice. All I I see a car out on the bridge. You see it? That's the baby. That's the one I saw at the house. Where's Dwight's car? Dwight's car isn't there. He must have got lost. Say, we'd better watch our step. The squad car ain't come to the other end yet. Oh, hurry, officer. Now, don't you get out of the car. You stay here. I'll see what's going on. Yes, but Hurry. All right, Miss Prentice. You and your mother can come here. Is Daddy there? There ain't a soul here. The car's deserted. Oh, it's too late. He's already done it. Who's done what? Oh, can't you remember anything I told you about Daddy's dream? I'm talking about that man. He's thrown Daddy in the water. Oh. Well, isn't there something we can do? Oh, it couldn't have happened very long ago. 
If your father's been thrown in the river, Miss Pentress, he's a goner, but now nobody could swim in that current. But I can't figure out is why the guy left the car here. Oh, poor John. Hey, look. There's some rope in the back of the car. And a knife. He tied at his hand. Hey, here comes a squad car now. They're coming in from the other end of the bridge. Officer, who's this car registered to? Uh, Wait a minute. By golly, there's no registration slip in it. I know who it belongs to. Milton Reed. I'll take the number and we'll check on it later. Well, what's up, Jack? Uh, it looks like there's some dirty work been going on here. Yeah? Well, maybe this guy knows something about it. Quit showing me, will you? Where'd you pick him up? He was running away from the bridge. Oh, he was, huh? All right, buddy. What do you know about this sedan? Not a thing. I wasn't on the bridge. Well, that's him. That's the man who threatened Daddy over the phone. I can tell by his voice. Well, now we're getting someplace. All right, you. Give. Where's Mr. Prentice? I don't know what you're talking about. You threw him into the river, didn't you? No. You're a liar. Come on, talk. I don't know nothing. We'll get you to talk at headquarters. A few minutes later, the river's being dragged for Prentice's body. But what has become of Dwight? He hasn't been seen since he drove away toward the bridge. The two heartbroken women return home to wait for the sad news. They step into the house. Mrs. Prentice breaks into a sob. Oh, come, Mother. You must try to get hold of yourself. We must try to be brave. Oh, I know, dear. I know. <laughs> What has become of Dwight? Oh, I don't know what on earth could have happened to him. Eva, darling. Dwight, what are you doing there in the library? We thought you'd run out on us. Well, I haven't been here long. Oh, Dwight, it's terrible. I never dreamed such a thing was going to happen. No, no, just be patient, darling. I'll tell you everything. I told you I finally saw McAdams. Yes? Well, the story about the loan was a lot worse than we thought. I found that Reeves had a grudge against your father. So he planned to ruin him and get everything he had. And he did just that. By refusing to renew and calling the loan. He did it deliberately. He worked in a backhanded manner and wrecked the business. He held the paper on everything your father owned. Father? Father's broke? Yes. Reeves broke your father. Absolutely penniless. Reeves has the business, this house, everything. He pulled it so fast that your father hadn't a chance to get on his feet. When I found that out, I suspected the truth, but I wasn't sure till I got to that bridge. The truth? Then you did go to the bridge. I did. And I got there just in time to prevent the tragedy. I put, pulled your father into my car by force, turned around on the bridge, and came back here. Oh, what do you say? He, he isn't dead. No, he's here, in the library. Oh, oh. heaven. John, John. No, no, just a minute, please. I'll bring him in. Come in, Mr. Prentice. Oh, Father, thank heaven you're safe. John, what happened? I know how you feel, Mr. Prentice, but you better tell him. Yes, Dwight, I will. You see, my dears, I just couldn't bear the thought of my wife and daughter suffering poverty. The only thing I had left was that insurance policy, and it would have lapsed in another day. I had to think fast. John, you don't If mean... I'd commit suicide while the policy was in effect, you'd get $100,000. But I wanted to spare you the disgrace of the suicide, so I decided to kill myself and make it appear as though I'd been murdered. <sighs> then, as I developed the plan, I got an inspiration. Why not hang the murder on Reeves, the man who had deliberately ruined me? That would be my revenge. Well, now you know the whole story. Now you understand the nightmares. But the 
telephone call. Well, I hired the man to make the calls and steal Reeves's car and drive me to the bridge and then give me the motor as though it had stalled. All so that my murder could be traced directly to Reeves, who really had a motive to kill me. What motive? Well, my secretary knew all about it. When I discovered it was Reeves who was back at my failure, I threatened to divulge something I knew about him. He flew into a rage. The secretary heard him, and that was just what I wanted. But I knew I couldn't raise the money quickly enough, and my insurance policy was up tomorrow at noon. Well, that's the story. And it's all a miserable mess. <laughs> yes, John. It's all a very, very sad situation. Oh, but wait a minute. What about that telegram the boy delivered earlier? Where does that fit in? Was that part of your plan, John? Telegram? What telegram? Let me see it, Dwight. Why, it's... It's from the State Mutual. They've granted the loan I requested. Yes, John, they've granted the loan. Now you can straighten things out. Now you can get back on your feet again. But think, John, what a sad tale this would have been if you had followed through with your plan and Dwight hadn't caught you on the bridge at midnight. <laughs> CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Tonight's Whistler story was written by Herbert Connor, directed by J. Donald Wilson, and came to you from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next Sunday, 9.15... I, The Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual tale. <laughs> Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband. Time now for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday. Time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall Family Druggist. Good health to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall Family Druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet. With Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Gail Gordon, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Today is an average day in the Harris household. Alice has finished the lunch dishes, the children are playing with a new toy, and Phil has just come down for breakfast. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Phil. Hello, Daddy. Hey. What do you kids got there? A chemistry set. It's a present from William. 
He bought it for them this morning. Willie bought something for somebody? <laughs> well, since I got him that job with Rexall last week, the boy's become a plunger. <laughs> How much did this set cost him? Ninety-eight cents. The plunger's got a short handle. <laughs> Ninety-eight cents, huh? That's a fine present for his rich sister's children. Now that he's working, <laughs> now that he's working at the drugstore, Uncle William says he's going to give me and Phyllis a lot of presents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. For Christmas, I can see him putting two small tubes of dental floss under the tree. <laughs> Alice, look, a chemistry set is dangerous. They can hurt themselves messing around with that. Oh, it's just a toy, and it's perfectly harmless. They can't get into any trouble with it. No, Daddy. This morning, we made ink with it. You made ink, huh? How was it? It was delicious. You drank it? Alice, do something. Call a doctor. Get a blotter. No, no, no. Don't Don't get excited, Phil. They just tasted it, and I washed their mouths out. They know enough not to do it again. Believe me. Girls, you'd better go outside and play now. Okay, Mommy. Come on, Phyllis. Willie, Willie. When he's not doing something to me, he's doing something to my children. Getting him that job was the best thing I ever did. At least now he won't be bothering me during the day, and it'll certainly be a relief to hear him come in every morning with that... Good morning, Philip. <laughs> what did he do, have a record made? <laughs> what are you doing here during the day, Willie? I just came from a meeting with Mr. Scott. Scott? Hmm. Who's Mr. Scott? Well, he's a very important man with the Rexall Company. He and the other executives were talking about you and your radio show, Philip. Ah. Hmm? Talked about me, huh? Kind of cut me up a little, huh? <laughs> what they had to say about me, Willie? Well... Come on, uh... tell me what they said. <laughs> Come on, what do they think of me? You needn't worry, Philip. You have a contract and there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> Knock off, will you, Levi? <laughs> Get lost. Go back to the drugstore and stuff cotton in their aspirin bottles. <laughs> Nothing they can do about it. What do you mean, nothing they can do about it? They'd have to be crazy to try to get rid of me. I'm the greatest thing since rubber gloves. <laughs> can't understand it. I can't even get to meet this Mr. Scott. How come you got so close to him in only one week? Oh, I don't know. I guess he was captivated by my sparkling personality. <laughs> Captivated? You got a personality that sparkles like a hangnail. <laughs> There's got to be another reason. Well, of course, he was very much impressed with the new bookkeeping system I installed. It's really quite a system. Oh, I'll bet it's just a gym dandy. <laughs> you must explain it to me sometime. Oh, I'll be glad to. It's a double entry system. See? That's fine. Just close it up right there. <laughs> hey, look, let me ask you something. Don't you have to get back to the office? Oh, my goodness, it's almost one o'clock. I'd better hurry. Now, don't worry, Philip. Next time I see Mr. Scott, I'll put in a good word for you. If I can think of one. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, Willie. If I can think of one. Some sharp talk. Kid's really getting sharp. Ain't no stopping him since he won first prize for his tapioca pudding at the Pomona Fair. <laughs> Why are 
you so annoyed with William? Because I hate apple polishers, that's why. Just trying to get on the good side of the boss. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't even trying to get me off of that show. Look, I'll get it. Must be Willie again. Probably forgot something. His beret. <laughs> I'm getting a little fed up with his coming around all the time, and I'm going to tell him so. Why don't you stop coming around here and bother me? So? <laughs> <laughs> You don't love me anymore. <laughs> oh, Frankie, I I'm glad I found out in time before I made a fool of myself. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean before you made a fool of yourself? Before I gave you the ring. Oh. <laughs> Cut out the clowning, will well, you? That's a fine way to greet Remley, me. Remley, I'm sorry, and I want to apologize. I thought you were willing. That's the most insulting apology ever. <laughs> What are you so sore willing about? Well, come on in. I'll tell you. All right. Let's go in the kitchen. You can have a bite to eat with me. Mm -hmm. Well, what's it all about, Curly? What's Willie done to you this time? Oh, I don't know. Ever since I got that job at Rexall for him last week, he's been doing everything in his power to impress them with his ability. Mm -hmm. Sit down. Yeah, right. Mmm, cold chicken. Frankie, look. I got a serious problem. Willie's trying to undermine me with the company. He wants to get me off the show. You're passing mustard. <laughs> Look, Remley, this is important. Do you realize that if that happens, I'll be out of a job? The potato salad, please. <laughs> Frankie, will you pay attention? Okay. Now, look, I got to think uh, of... Pass me some of that stuff first. <laughs> oh, here. Look, Frankie... I gotta think of some way to stop this guy. <laughs> hey, this is wonderful wine. Good vintage. Nice body. Very dry. What do you call this stuff? Ink. <laughs> yeah, ink? Yeah, ink. It's excellent vintage. The Waterman's 1926. <laughs> Serves you right. The kids made that stuff with a chemistry set that Uncle Willie gave them. Uh -huh. Look, Frankie, I've been trying to tell you. Willie invented a new book system or a keeping system for the company, mm -hmm. and now he's the fair-haired boy with a Mr. Scott, the big man there. I ain't even met the guy. Mm -hmm. Remley, I gotta do something to uh, impress the executives. Why don't you invent something? Like what? Well, what's the most important thing that Rexall makes and sells? What are they famous for? Drugs. That's it. All you got to do is invent a new drug. <laughs> That's all, huh? Yep, simple as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's only one trouble. I'm a little out of practice, you see. <laughs> I haven't invented a drug for a fortnight now. <laughs> About nine days. <laughs> Look. What makes you think they need a new drug? Statistics. He ain't even with the company. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. Look, how many independent druggists do they got? 10,000. How many drug products do they make? 2,000. All right, you see? That leaves 8,000 druggists without a drug. <laughs> You must admit that makes sense. 
That figures. <laughs> hey, Rambler. What? Whatever gave you the idea of inventing a new drug? Oh, the kid's chemistry set and my knowledge of chemical formulae. <laughs> formulae? That's Latin. <laughs> Female for formula. <laughs> Hey, hmm? you sound like you know what you're talking about. Well, of course I do. Come on, let's experiment. A lot of things are discovered by chemists just accidentally mixing things together. With my knowledge, we're sure to hit something. Yeah, a lot of things are discovered accidentally. Sure. Anyway, it's worth a try. Hey, come on, Frankie. Now, look, let's get the kids' chemistry set, mix a few things together, and we'll see what happens. Curly, Maybe we Curly, can... please. We chemists cannot work with a child's implement. <laughs> we'll need a professional set with test tubes and Bunsen burners. You'll have to buy an elaborate set. Okay, Frankie, but you better come with me so I don't get stuck. All right. Hey, I hope this thing works how I'd love to show that Willie up. Wouldn't that be something? Well, like the general said, let's get moving. The general? Yeah. General said, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. But his noble steed said, no indeed, go get yourself a jeep. Then the general said, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. But his man of war just said, what for? And went right back to sleep. Then the general called the captain, told the captain to tell the sergeant, tell the privates that he personally would lead the charge. Now he made a loud and fervent speech, he made a strong appeal. And he said, good friends, just follow me, I'll lead you through the field. Then the general said, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. But his noble horse said, man, get lost and walk right off the field. Then the general said, giddy up, giddy up, come on, giddy up. But his stallion booed him where he stood and called that gent a heel. And that there horse come walking by, his noble head held high. And he walked up to the general, looked him smack dab in the eye. And he said, my friend, let's get it straight. Let's get it straight right now. If you think I'm going to lead a charge, you crazy as a cow. The battle raged and raged and raged. The shells fell all around. But the general stopped and did no bobbing. He just stood his ground. The soldiers fought and fought and fought in the battle. The battle was no sense, but the general and his faithful horse, they didn't move an inch. Then the bugler blew his bugle, his comrades left the fray. The mighty war was over, so they proudly marched away. But the general on his noble nag, his face was streaming tears, said, I'll make that old hay burner move if it takes a million years. Oh, the general said, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. They left him so I'll never know if he ever made that darn that go with his giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. Oh, come on, horse, at least take me back to the officer's club. The general and his horse. Hey, Ramley. What? How much further is this chemist supply store? Oh, it's in this block, a couple of doors down. See, now, I want to make sure we get everything. We'll need a couple of dozen test tubes, some mixing pans, Munson burners. Uh, hmm? what are them burners for? Oh, they're necessary to every chemist. Yeah? Can't burn a Bunsen without them. 
Besides, if we want to discover a new drug, we'll need them to heat up the ingredients. What are we after, a hot headache pill? <laughs> How stupid can a man be? Curly, <laughs> when we get in the store, you better let me do the talking. If we don't sound like professionals, they won't sell us anything. All right, all right, pro, you can do the talking. You better start it, too. Here comes the clerk. How do you do, sir? What can I do for you? Oh, uh, uh, nothing for me, but my colleague, Madame Curie, wants to buy it. <laughs> Madame Curie? <laughs> uh, pay no attention to Professor Harris. He's been working on the atom bomb, and he's a little radioactive. <laughs> uh, we'd like to buy the best chemistry set you have. Oh, certainly. Mm -hmm. uh, you're professional chemists, of course. Please. <laughs> H2OCO2 and carbon-4 dioxide-5 And if that ain't enough, granite-3883 <laughs> Yes Yes. Now, uh, will you please show us your most expensive set? Well, uh, very well, if you insist. I have one on the shelf right here. Mm -hmm. This is the best chemistry set that money can buy. Yeah, this looks adequate. We'll take it. Wait, pro, wait. <laughs> uh, how much is it, mister? Oh, not very much. The cabinet is $20. I ain't bad. Plus the chemicals, which are $165. Huh? Plus the smear slides, plus the culture discs. That'll be a total of $210. $210? Plus 3% sales tax. Hey, Bud. Um, you have a brother working in a packing house who cut up a steer for me three weeks ago. <laughs> That was me, Professor Harris. I change jobs. I do that quite often. Well, don't ever take a job in a penny arcade. You won't be happy with their prices. <laughs> hey, Curly, stop quibbling about price. This is important all to you. All right, all right. All right, wrap it up, mister. We won't take it home. Get started. Very well. Oh, a word of warning. If you don't know what you're doing, these sets can be dangerous. No, please. Don't worry about us, bub. By the way, we'll also need some test tubes and mixing pans. Oh, look, and another thing. Throw in a couple of them bunion burners. <laughs> hey, Curly, look at all these chemicals and acids we have. Oh, with what we have here, we shouldn't have any trouble inventing something great. Let's get started. Yeah, but... Hey, Remley. Hmm? You think we should be doing this here on the dining room table? This is an expensive piece of furniture. We might damage it. No, not with me handling the stuff. However, if it'll make you feel better, we'll cover it up. Put that tablecloth on. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> I'll just throw it on here. Hmm? Yeah, there. Ain't no sense taking no chances. Mm -hmm. All right, now then, let's get started. Uh, first, I'll pour a little of this into a test tube. Uh, what is it? Uh, hydrochloric acid. <laughs> Harmless stuff. <laughs> I just pour a little in this test tube. Frankie, be careful. Look, you're splashing it all over the tablecloth. Well, that's all right. We got a lot of it. 
Stop worrying. It won't hurt the cloth. Okay, as long as it... <laughs> Remley, are you losing compression? <laughs> It's burning holes in the tablecloth. That's very weak material. Oh. I'm surprised that Alice buying sheets. Hi, You're boys. Get... Hello. What are you doing in here? What's that stuff on the table? Oh, no. Look at my pure Irish linen tablecloth. Beautiful, intricate lace work, hasn't it? <laughs> Bill Harris, what have you done? What are all these bottles on the table? Honey, it's just a little chemistry set. Well, take it out to the garage and play with it. And if you play real nice, I'll get you boys tinker toys for Christmas. Now, go on. Run along. All Shoot. right. All right. Let's go out in the garage, Pro. Come okay. on. <laughs> A new drug. I wonder when he'll get to mud pies. I never know what he's going to do. There's only one thing I'm sure of. A little bird told me that you love me. That you love me. And I believe that you do. That you do. This little bird told me I was falling. Really falling. Falling for no one but you. None but you. There's no use tonight. I might as well confess. Of all the boys I know, dear, I'm sure I love you best. A little bird told me that you love me. That you love me. And I believe that it's true. A little bird told me we'd be married. And I believe that it's true. This little bird also told me when we marry. We'll have a pretty cottage not too far. All fenced in like a movie star. Great Dane Pop, we'll call him Ace. Lying there by the fireplace. A goldfish pond and a wishing well. Everything is gonna turn out swell. A little bird told her she'd be married. Dear, 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 dear. And we believe that is true. This little bird also told her when she married. We'll be the proudest couple in the land. Go through life hand in hand. Have a rancho way out west. Pick a spot that we love the best. A peachy king and all is well. That's true, we know. A little bird told us so. Love that little boy. Hey, Frankie, how are we doing? You think we got something here? Shh, shh, don't disturb me. I gotta concentrate. It's coming to a boil. <laughs> hey, look, it's changing color. It was pink and purple, and now it's changing to orange and blue. Well, then we got it, Frankie. Can't you see it's the perfect drug for Rexall? A pill that's that's half orange and half blue. <laughs> I still like pink and purple. <laughs> uh, Curly, I think we got something here, though. As soon as it cools off, I'm going to pour it and let you have the honor and privilege of being the first one to taste our new drug. 
Let's reverse that. I'll pour you taste. Oh, but Curly, I'm a scientist. The world needs men like me, but you're expendable. Are you going to be selfish? You're going to think of the world or yourself? Yes. Yes, what? I think the world or myself. Look, Ramley, let's face it. We're both afraid to taste this stuff. Yeah. Well, what we need is a human guinea pig to try it out on. <laughs> yeah, that's what we need, a guinea pig. Somebody hey, who... what are you two guys doing in the garage? Well, if it ain't Julius, oink, oink, a bruzio. <laughs> hey, come on in here, kid. Come on in. Yeah, come on. Pull up the sky and sit down. Hey, you guys, let go. Get your clammy meat hooks off of me. <laughs> what are you characters up to? Julius, my boy, I'm going to give you a chance to become famous. I'm going to let you do something that will make this world a better place to live in. You and you alone, Julius, can make your fellow man very happy. Sorry, I ain't interested. <laughs> Why not? I ain't going to knock Mr. Harris off. <laughs> Nobody's asking you to knock me off. All we want you to do is to help us with a little experiment. Experiment? Now, look, kid. Mr. Remley, <clears throat> my colleague, yes. and myself, <laughs> have just discovered a new drug that will be a boon to mankind. You discovered a new drug? Yes, sir, and we want you to be the first to try it. Just think, Julius. If it's successful, your name will go down as one of the bravest men in medical history. You'll be a martyr, a man of destiny. Yeah, I'll be a world-famous martyr. People who talk about me and I'll be a household word. Gentlemen, I've reached a decision. Then you'll do it? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Julius, I made this stuff. What are you afraid of? What could happen to you? I could drop dead. <laughs> Besides that, I guarantee nothing will happen. But if it does, we'll give you our antidote. Did you discover an antidote, too? No, but we'll face that crisis when it arrives. Look, Julius, I'm trying to discover a new drug for my sponsor. If I can show a big shot like Mr. Scott that I have his interests at heart, he'll accept me. We'll travel around together socially. Save your breath. I should give my life just so you can go steady with Mr. Scott? <laughs> Julius, look. I poured a little in this test tube. Here, just taste it. Stop shoving it into my head. Ouch, it's hot! Julius, you're dropping it. I don't think this stuff's going to be any good for headaches. <laughs> boom, it works, huh? Little boom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Curly, you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. How about you? Yeah, I'm all in one piece. Right? <laughs> Curly? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't Julius standing here a minute ago? <laughs> I could have sworn he was. <laughs> hey, Frankie. Hmm? You think that maybe could be? 
<laughs> oh, well, here today and gone tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't even wait till tomorrow. <laughs> Little Julius. So bad it had to happen. What are you, a couple of wise guys or something? <laughs> hey, Julius, you all right? Where were you? I ducked down here under the car. <laughs> now that's the drug you discovered for Rexall, huh? What are they going to do, open a bomb department? <laughs> all right, we're sorry, kid. It was an accident. I guess I put too much uranium in. I'm getting out of here. The thing you guys wanted me to drink that but stuff. But, Julius, we didn't... I tell my old man you tried to make an active volcano out of me. <laughs> that goes to guinea pig, Mr. Remley. This is a nice medical discovery you made. What's it supposed to do, blow up the germs? Oh, Philip! Oh, no, look, there comes Willie. There he comes, and he's got some guy with him. If he sees what we did, I'll be a laughingstock. He'll tell everybody. i got to keep him out of the garage, Frank. Hey, Frankie, what? I think I found a use for our drug. <laughs> you mean... Yeah, now start pouring, keep pouring, just enough to scare him off. Are you ready? Yeah. Drop it as soon as they get near the garage door. Oh, Philip, Alice told me you were... <laughs> I wonder what Alice told him you were. <laughs> Hey, Frankie, look at Willie. Look at Willie and his friend, Ron. We scared the bailouts out of him. Phil, Frankie, what happened? What was that explosion? It was nothing, honey. We just played a little gag to scare Willie and his friend away. Just a harmless prank. Phil, Phil, you shouldn't have done that. Especially to Willie's friend. (laughs) Oh, who's worried about Willie's friend? When will I ever see that guy again? Around auction time. That was Mr. Scott. What? Produced and directed by Paul Phillips. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Tetley. Alice Bay appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall. Sunday is fun day on NBC. Stay tuned to this station for the Edgar Bergen Charlie McCarthy Show, which follows immediately. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, followed by the Jack Benny Show. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.